Hi, this is Pastor Tom, and we are in day two of our look through 1 Timothy chapter 2. And as we begin to look at verses 3 to 7 today, we're going to start in verses 3 and 4 by looking at what does God really want? What does the Bible say about this? 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. This is good, talking about the prayers that we pray for others. He says, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants. You might remember yesterday that I was talking about the prayers that we pray for others being a part of our witness for others. These verses is where you pick up on that very strongly. He's looking forward in those prayer verses to this witnessing verse that God wants all men to be saved and have a knowledge of the truth. God wants every one of us to have a relationship with him. That desire has been seen. It's been expressed since before the creation of the world. And that desire goes against what I would call the popular idea of God sometimes. The popular idea is that God is anxiously waiting to judge those who do wrong. Somehow he wants us to mess up. Somehow he wants us to be separated from him. But the truth is, God is waiting to forgive all who will ask. He wants all men and women to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And this powerful truth of what God wants and how it works its way into our lives, he sums up this powerful truth in verses 5 to 7. Incredibly powerful words about God's good news in our lives. And I want to just walk through these verses, 5, 6, and 7, one verse at a time. First, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. You just walk through that, the powerful words there. There is one God. That echoes all throughout the Old and New Testaments. God is a trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he is one God. There are not three gods. There is one God. And when I talk about one God, that's very important as you share your faith with other people. It's very important as you share your faith. Maybe you have somebody who is a friend who is, uh, has a Jewish heritage. I had somebody write me a question a while back, and they asked, if you had two minutes to convince a person of Jewish belief about Jesus being our Lord and Savior, what would you say? This person has difficulty understanding that Jesus is God's son. I, uh, I answered my friend back about this, focusing on who God really is. And I shared with him that I had recently been talking with a woman who matched the description of the person they were talking about. And in the two or three minutes that we had to talk, I focused not so much on the Trinity as on the fact that Jesus is God. I I find that I meet meet a lot of Jewish friends who are struggling with the fact that somehow we don't really believe as Christians that Jesus is God. Or if we do believe that he is God, we believe there are actually two gods. They, They sense that to follow Jesus would be to somehow miss out on serving the one God. And explaining that there is one God, that's crucial in the New Testament is something very important to explain to your friends who maybe come from a Jewish heritage. Explaining the fact that Jesus did miracles shows that he is the one God. He did miracles that only God could do. Jesus was proclaimed to be God by the prophets and by his own followers. He was proved to be God by his own resurrection. As you see all the proofs in Jesus' life that he was who he said he was, you see that he is God in human flesh. If you take a look at Scripture on this, we could take weeks to study this, but just some very brief Scriptures. Isaiah 44 says that God is creator. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is creator. Isaiah 43 says that God is the Savior. Titus 2 says that Jesus is the Savior. Exodus 3 says God is the I Am. 
John 8, 58 says Jesus is the I am. So what's going on here? Are there two gods, Jesus and God the Father? No, there is one God, one God. And that one God in the person of Jesus Christ came to this earth. Now he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Trinity does make me scratch my head a little bit sometimes. I understand I don't know all that God is. He is greater than my mind can comprehend. But I do know this. There are not three gods. There is one God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that one God in the person of Jesus Christ became a man. There is one God, the man Jesus Christ. And so he became well, what this verse says. Verse 5 says there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Jesus Christ. The word mediator there, we use it to have the idea of someone who can help two parties to agree. But it's even stronger here. It's the idea of someone who brings two people together. A relationship is broken and it's brought back together. And these verses remind us that there is not 10 mediators or 20 mediators. There's only one. There's only one way to be brought back into a relationship with God and that is through God through his plan, through his way. I can't make up my way to get back to God into a relationship with him because I'm the one that's separated. I'm the one that walked away. He's the only one that has the power to do that. And he's used his power by becoming a man in Jesus Christ. He's used his power by showing us the way. Jesus Christ has always been God. He became a man so that he could show us the way. One mediator. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says this about Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Jesus Christ is a ransom that is paid for all. The idea of a ransom is a price that is paid for somebody's freedom. So let me just ask you, let's, let's just walk through these verses and ask ourselves the tough questions. If God wants everyone to be saved, we said that at the beginning of today's study, and if Jesus was given as a ransom for all to be saved, then why aren't all saved? I mean, this verse says Jesus was given as a ransom for all. Verse 4 says God wants all to be saved. Then why aren't all saved? Because our faith in what Jesus has done plays a part. Why does it play a part? Because God wants a relationship with us. This is a relationship that we're talking about, not a transaction. Yes, Jesus paid the price for our freedom, but it is a relational price that was paid. He gave himself. He died for us. And God has chosen not to force us to have a relationship with him. And so because of that, my choice to say yes plays a part in my salvation. That's why everyone isn't saved. The door is open for everyone to be saved. Jesus died for everyone on the cross. It's just that everyone doesn't receive that gift. God wants everyone to be saved. There's no one that's outside of the circle of God's desire to be saved. It's just that some don't receive that gift. Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for you. The testimony given at the proper time, at just the right time, Jesus came into this world to show the world what God is really like. And so Paul says, here's my response to that in verse 7. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith, to the Gentiles. Now, before talking about these verses, you might wonder why Paul says, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. As we continue to walk through 1 Timothy, we're going to find out that there were some false teachers in the church. And so they were doing things like saying that Paul really wasn't an apostle, saying that Paul really wasn't authorized by God to do the things that he was doing. 
And Paul is simply saying, I'm telling you my life. I'm telling you the truth of what Jesus has done in my life. Why would I have to lie about this? And he talks in these verses about a privilege. He's talked about the good news, one mediator. He's talked about the ransom that's been paid for all of us. And then he talks about a privilege, the privilege of letting other people know this good news. And in these verses, in this verse, verse 7, he talks about three ways that he exercises this privilege. He says, I'm a herald. I am not a herald, not the name, H-E-R-A-L-D, a herald. I am an apostle, and I am a teacher. Those three things. A herald, the, the person who would call out in a city to let people know what was happening that day. The person who would call out in a battle to let people know which direction to go. The person who would go before to let people know the good news. Paul says, I have the privilege of doing that. I get to say it out so that other people can hear it. And then and if they accept that good news, they get to begin to live it out. I'm a herald. He also says, I'm an apostle. The idea of an apostle, well, we know that that means the 12 first followers of Jesus Christ. But there's also the idea of the office of apostle that you read about in Ephesians chapter 4. It's the idea of someone who goes to new places to talk to people who've never heard before about the good news of Jesus Christ, the very thing that Jesus was asking his disciples, his apostles to do when he left this earth. I want you to go to Jerusalem and Judea, the remotest parts of the earth, and I want you to let everyone know. And Paul says, I have that privilege too. I'm going to places where no one has heard, and I'm making sure that they hear. And he says, I'm also a teacher. A teacher is someone who sticks around a while, and they begin to teach you and let it sink in, let you begin to see how this good news works into, into your life and what a difference it can make. You and I, we have the privilege, in some ways, of doing all three of these things. There are times in your life when you get to be a herald, when you just get to say it out so that someone can hear in that situation, in that circumstance, that there is good news, the good news of Jesus' love. There are some times when you get to be an apostle. You get to go into some place where no one has gone before. It might be a country that no one's ever gone to. It might be someone in your office that no one's had the courage to tell the good news to. You're an apostle in one sense there. And then you also get to be a teacher, a teacher, someone who sticks with people and just lets the good news sink in as you keep talking about it. You might be a teacher with a good friend. You might be a teacher with uh, your kids. You might be a teacher with someone in your small group. You get to be a herald, an apostle, and a teacher of the good news of Christ. Let's thank him for that right now. Jesus, we do thank you. And we just ask you, what do I need to say today about the good news? Where do I need to go today? Who do I need to go to to share the good news? How do I need to live today to share the good news? Because I know the greatest teaching of all is not just in what I say, but in also how I live out what I am saying. Lord, what do I need to say? Where do I need to go? How do I need to live the good news of Christ today? Show me. Show me. And then give me the faith to trust you to live out the good news instead of trusting myself. I ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Join us tomorrow. We're going to look at some words to men and to women about worship. <music>